Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, like in the old school days when you were in church, they said, and when you get there, give me an amen. Um, but nowadays, we forget to do that. We, you know, we, we used to, we used to, let's, go, let's go back to those old school days. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and maybe put your finger there on verse, uh, what did I say? Oh, man. And also pray for me and intercede. First Thessalonians, forgive me, chapter 4, and if you could put your eyes on verse 13. Now, as you're there, and as you're getting there, um, it's very interesting. We've had, um, we've had this great privilege here at our nest. Depending who's preaching, we're on two different books here. Have you guys noticed? When Omar's preaching, he's breaking down the book of James. And then lately I've been up here and I've been breaking down the book of um, 1 Thessalonians as now, the letter of 1 Thessalonians, not Corinthians, Thessalonians. And uh, it might be a little strange and a little weird, but one of our codes is we're not normal anyways. So we might as well not do things in a normal fashion. So, but with that said, um, we, we will continue with this, uh, with this letter as we've been on it for a few weeks, obviously last week we took a break because we had a Love Life Sunday as Pastor Frank was here and we just spent some time speaking about Love Life. And I will say uh, Love Life yesterday. Thank you, love. I need to hydrate myself. Amen. Um, I will say that Love Life yesterday was powerful. Um, I want to share a little bit about that. Um, yesterday it was, I think the number was three something close to 400 people that showed up to the prayer walk. And um, it was just a powerful thing. When we got to the center, it's so interesting that the building is called a woman's center. And um, as we got there, we saw, we, we, we saw at least three or four women coming in and out. They were, it was, they were slow to get into their cars. Some of the aides from the center had to help put them in the car, and you could see. And we were just praying and worshiping the Lord. Um, we saw one, even one girl come out, and, and we, just, we were in shock. Charlene was next to me. And we're like, oh, my gosh, she's a kid. She looks so young. And she was coming out, and they were putting her in the car, and she had just aborted her child. And um, later on, I found out that while we were there um, praying at, around that center, there, was, there were 15 moms currently in that building aborting their children when we were there. Fifteen moms. And... Um, it was just a powerful time of prayer and worship and just fellowship with other churches and other, a lot of youth were there because the Youth for Life um, were there as well. And it was just a, a very special thing. I encourage you to jump on the next one, ask questions. Um, but we, we were definitely um, making war and, and fighting battles that could only be fought uh, through prayer, through fasting, through worship. Where we can't just go down and burn a building and get physical with someone. That's not the right thing to do. Though, uh, maybe sometimes in Jackson's words, well, let's just go in there and punch them in the face. And I said, we are. Jackson, we're punching them in the face through prayer. 
and through worship. He's like, okay, I guess. But he liked it a whole different, he wanted to do it, take it a different route. So, <laughs> but, um, but it really was a powerful moment. And um, what, what an honor it was to have our, our Nest family there and just to be part of that. How many of you were blessed by yesterday? You know, it was so much. It was so good. So, yeah, it was. So, today we'll jump into 1 Thessalonians 4. And um, this is going to be our third teaching on this letter. And today's topic is actually a very uh, interesting conversation to have. I remember when I used to teach Bible in high school, the first day of school, I would never forget, always, they would always say, hey, they should call me Mr. F. Mr. F, are you going to talk about the rapture? Are you going to talk about the end times? And I was like, oh, my goodness, we'll get there. But at the end of the year, so I used to always end the year um, at some point uh, talking about um, the end times or whatnot. So today's an interesting conversation. But as we get into this, uh, I, I don't want to get so far into it that we lose the heart of what Paul is writing here. Because my purpose, it's, it's not to, uh, just to give, a diff- to give different views or <clears throat> to start an argument on which view gives more evidence or, or more, uh, more reasoning for what is the rapture or the seven-year tribulation or the second coming or the millennial kingdom. Um, I don't necessarily want to do that today, though... I see ourselves getting to uh, that place in, uh, in somewhere in the future. So what I do want is I want everyone to leave here today knowing that there is actually, if there's anything, when it comes to the Lord's coming, it's this, that there is comfort in the Lord's coming. How many of you could say amen? amen. There is comfort in the heart of the believer. There is hope in our resurrection. And I, I shared that with our 930 huddle. I said, if, if a believer is speaking about the coming of the Lord or of their death to a believer, it should be something that is hopeful, and we'll get into that. Today's message is a statement that I'm going to say often, and it's this, and write this down in your notes. Here's today's message title. I encourage you with these words. That's today's message. I encourage you with these words. The reason why I chose this as a title It's because this is exactly what Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, which is modern-day Greece. We've broke all this down in in our first week together of this area, of this church, of the dynamics of this church, the importance of this church. you got to go back to week one and listen to that. But in this moment, as he's writing about some very intense things, and it's going to flow into the next chapter, and it's going to flow into his next letter, Because in 2 Thessalonians, he's like, let me clarify some things that I think you took the wrong way when I wrote you the first letter. And he has to get deeper into these end time events, Paul does. Because the church, the Christians in Thessalonica began to like fight and and be confused because they thought, oh no, we missed the coming of the Lord. And, And they were all perplexed about this stuff. And Paul had to like write to them again and say, hey... Calm down. Let me clarify some things that I think you took um, out of context there for a moment. But we'll, we'll see if we jump into that. But Paul, as he's writing this, goes to say this. I encourage you with these words. I encourage you. You may be sitting here like, no, nothing about this stuff encourages me. Well, we're going to talk to you in a little bit, okay? But let's get into some of this um, 
passage, and that, and that way you could, um, you could understand. I'm going to ask, he has no idea that I was going to do this. We did it in the 930 huddle. Get that, get that sound ready. Remember that sound we played in the 930 huddle? All right. For those that were here, 930 huddle, you already know. You have the sneak peek. But I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 4. And Rudy, right when I, please follow with me, because right when I get to, um, right when I get to verse 15, start playing it, right? Start playing it, and then start low, and then get loud with it. Ready? We're going to do, um, you guys ever heard the audible Bible, how it starts with drama, drama uh, yeah, it, it gets all dramatic, and the voiceovers, and the sounds, and the people talking in the background? All right, we're going to do that today. Ready? 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to start in verse 13. I'm going to read for right now up to verse 18. It says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died, so you will not, or who have fallen asleep, your translation may say, who have fallen asleep, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died, who have fallen asleep. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet with him ahead of those who have died, fallen asleep. Verse 16, you can put it a little bit louder now. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise up from their graves and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and then we will be with the Lord forever. Come on, church, verse 18, verse 18. So I encourage each one of you with these words. Come on, give God some praise. I read this and I'm like, I'm going. Thank you for the sound effects there. The trumpet of God is going to sound. And we're going to meet him in the air, depending what translation you're reading from, in the top, in, in its title in your Bible, it either says the comfort of Christ's coming, or it says the hope of the resurrection. And I want you to see those two words, whether it says comfort or whether it says hope. They're both positive things to the believer. Paul is writing to a group of Christians. Paul is writing to the church. This is not necessarily written to the non-believer. It is written to the assembly of believers that meet in Thessalonica. And when he meets with them, he says, I'm going to share with you some things that are going to take place. But I don't want you to be discouraged, not at all. He says, I want you to encourage each other with these words. All of this is hopeful. All of this is encouraging. All of this should bring great comfort to the hearer. I know that many times when we get in groups and we begin to speak about the coming of the Lord or we begin to speak about the trumpets of God or the, the shout of the archangel, people get scared and they say, no, 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 don't talk about that. Let's talk about something else. No, talk about it and talk about it often. And when you do, let it be to encourage one another with those words. It's a beautiful scripture. So let me start by saying this. And you know I love every single one of you. Here it is. Those that I know, very personal. And those that I'm getting to know. And those that I don't know yet. I, I love you. We love you. Our heart is to love you. But I want to make sure I say this. That if you are in Christ, there should be no fear. And there should be no worries when it comes to the Lord's coming. And when it comes to your death. Did you hear me? Yes. 
A believer should not be worried. You should not be having anxiety attacks because your death is coming. You should not be living in fear because the coming of the Lord is near. Nowhere in scripture will you ever see that the believer is to be worried or be fearful for any of those days. So you should not. You should not because if we are, it's a reality and it's an examination upon our heart, upon our own spirit of where is my walk with the Lord? Where is my faith if I am worried about going to meet him? As a bride, we should be excited for our beloved to come and get us. As a bride, what does a bride do? I've been lucky to marry my bride. And the process of that was we just didn't wake up and just get married. There was a year and a half of preparation for our wedding day. And then, like the week of the wedding day, you know, she was going through her own thing and going through her own preparation. And then the night before, her friends did this this thing for her. And then in the morning, she continued to get prepared and they did more stuff for her. And, and, and everything was for the bride to be prepared because she was going to walk and meet with her beloved at the altar of God so that two can become one. And all of scripture says that the bride of Christ is to live on this earth being prepared and readied because at any moment, the sound of the trumpet, the voice of the archangel, it's going to sound and we will walk down the aisle, meet him in the air and be with our beloved forever. That day will come. But I'm asking you this, are you living prepared now on earth? Are you living ready right now? They're messing up our children in public schools. They're teaching them all kinds of these things so that they could change their bodies. So that they could believe the, I mean, the greatest cult that is happening, it's happening right now. And it's, it's blasting through our children. It's blasting through marriages. It's, it's happening in this land. And all it's doing is reminding me that I'm going to go up to the air soon and meet my beloved. I'm going to meet him in the air. I'm going to look around for some of you. Let's go. He's here. We're going. So when death comes, do we fear, church? No. Come on, no. When his coming is, has arrived, do we fear? Do we worry, church? The times are going to grow grayer and maybe darker. The news will get more extreme and, and people will become more violent and all these things will happen, but for once does the church hide in caves, scared and terrified and worried and fearful. Do we do that? No, that's when God calls us out of the caves and says, now is your time, my remnant, to go out to the land, to go out to the people and be the church to prepare them and to get their wedding dress ready. Make it white as snow. Prepare them. Prepare them because now is the time. We don't fear and we're not worried. When death comes, we're reminded of this. Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. If you saw that video that we did, it's on social media of our baptism. I'll read a part of it again. It's in verse 52 to 55. He says, the dead will be raised imperishable. The dead will be changed. Those that are in Christ 
For this perishable will put on the imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. If you don't get excited for this. But when this perishable has put on imperishable and this mortal has put on immortality, then I will be able to say what is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's the cry of the believer. The cry of the believer is, oh, death, where is it? You thought you were going to sting. You thought you were going to have victory. But where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because death was actually promotion. Death was actually glory for me. And Paul reminds the church that those who die in Christ resurrect and experience victory for all eternity. And you may say, well, okay, I get that. But don't talk so much about death today. Come on. You know, you're talking about also his coming. I don't know about his coming. I'm not sure about that. You know, I'm kind of worried about that. It kind of scares me when we start talking about this. I mean, today, get, I mean, praise God. I'm not even turning to Revelation today. I'm not even going to do that. I just want to stay through the flow of Thessalonians. I could have jumped to Daniel. That would have been really fun. I could have jumped. But we're just staying on Thessalonians. And you're like, well, this stuff kind of scares me. Well, we just read in verse 17 and 18. I'll read it one more time to you. Together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth, we'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we'll be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, here it is. So encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. How many of you want to be encouraged today? I love to be encouraged. I hate to be discouraged. Because I fight my, my greatest battle. What's my greatest battle? In, what's my, my greatest battle? Let's see how long you guys have been coming here and you've heard me preach this. My greatest battle in my life is my? All right, I got about three of you that know me already. It's my mind. My mind is my greatest fight every single day. I'm always fighting my mind. And yes, it will lead to anxiety sometimes. I mean, I'm always battling this mind of my all oh, these thoughts. Last week, I think it was two weeks, I woke up at three in the morning for, for, for last week, for two days, sorry, in a row. And I was like, what's going on with me? And this is my mind. It was just racing. Right there. I had to get up. And it was just like, all right, Lord, I'm up. I'm not going to go back to sleep. I have to wake up with the kids at 6. It's 3. So, so what do you do at that place? Your mind, your mind. You just got to get on your knees. You, you begin to pray. So, you know, devotion started way earlier that morning. How many of you battle like that sometimes? Whew, thank God. I thought I was alone. We just battle. It's what you do with that battle. It's, it's either you give in to it or, or you fight through it and you see the Lord show up and you see the Lord win and you see the Lord conquering. And we read these verses and I, I want to encourage you today because I know what it is to be discouraged and to live discouraged and I'm sure you so do you. I mean, come on. And, and here's Paul writing and he's like, oh, you want some encouragement? I'm going to give you some encouragement. And the encouragement is this. The encouragement is we're, we're, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to live with him forever. And, and, and as I'm telling you all these things, when I, when, when, when I tell you stuff like this, when, when, when the Lord comes with a, with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God is sounded, I, um, speak of, these, of this day often and encourage one another. I, I would love to see the church, when they read this for the first time in Thessalonica, like, I, I, I want to be in that moment where they read this letter from Paul. Like, what, what was that conversation like in that church? 
whoa, what? I don't know. I mean, we've been so indoctrinated with the rapture and the seven-year tribulation and the Antichrist. And, but I wonder, like, what they thought there for a moment. What was their conversation like? So I want to encourage you today that we'll be caught up and we'll be caught up with the Lord one day. And we're going to be caught up in the clouds. And on that day, we're going to be with Christ forever. And I hope that right there really strikes your heart and you can say amen. I'm so excited that you're sharing this with me today because today I needed an encouragement. And I get to leave here today remembering that one day I'm going to meet the Lord in the heavens. We could talk about this. And I don't want to get too deep into this, what this is geared towards. More the entrance of the rapture, where the second coming might come later. After the seven-year tribulation is established, which you will eventually usher in what is known as the millennial kingdom. But, but all that stuff, we could get lost in all of the dynamics of that. And I want you to keep the heart of what Paul is saying here. I'm glad that we're getting into this, though. I'm glad because our days are nearing to, towards eternity. Have you noticed your, your days are nearing towards eternity? Well, you should. You're nearing towards eternity. Um, this week, just this week, we, we saw many stories. Maybe you know some of these people. But we saw one story of a boat coming from celebrating and the boat capsizes. And we see what happens to these young girls who had their whole lives to live. One of them was a, uh, I think it was a soccer player who had a bright future ahead of her. And, and um, another one that passed away. And I mean, just tragic, 17 years old, right there. One, one moment they're celebrating, one moment they're, they're rejoicing. They're in the beach, they're on the boat with 11 other friends. And bam, instantly life, life is over for them. Right there, they have to resurrect and they, and they come face to face with the reality of, is this a joyful moment? Or is this a, a moment of damnation for me forever? And, and we've been reminded of this. I mean, I was watching the news and two 16-year-old, no, two kids, I forgot how old they were. 15, I don't know, they were, they were in the bus stop waiting for their bus to come pick them up. And a 16-year-old comes up to them and tells them, give me your phones. And the two little kids are like, no. We're not going to give you our phones, whatever. And the 16-year-old kid takes out his gun and shoots both these boys for a phone. When they found this car later, I think he had like two handguns, a rifle. What is a 16-year-old doing with handguns and rifles in his car? Why is he shooting two kids for their phone? I would have bought that guy two phones to save those kids' lives. I'll buy you 10 phones. I'll grab some of my church folks and we'll buy how many phones you want. Just don't take their lives. That's the reality of the world we live in. It's corrupted and, and tragedy happens. And, and tomorrow, Scripture teaches us, is not promised for anyone. It, it just comes. And I'm glad that we're getting into this. I really am because our days are nearing towards eternity and the joy of the believer should be growing. I'm glad. I'm glad because as we're speaking on this, it reminds me. It's a reminder to me. I'll speak to myself and for myself. It's a reminder for me that, that now, now, to, everyone say now. now. Say today. Yeah. Right now, today, it is not the time to mess around. Not right now, it's not. This is not the time to play around. This is not the time to have itchy ears. This is not the time to mess around with sinful things. Now is the time, man. This, 
Scripture is reminding us we're, we're living in these moments, and now is when we should really be paying attention. Should I enjoy life? What do you think the answer is? 100% yes. Enjoy life till its fullest. Yes, you should. We should enjoy life, but, but as we're enjoying, enjoying life, we should take Christ and we should take his word seriously and we should daily pay close attention to our faith, to our walk with Jesus, with our walk with Christ. How many of you could say amen? It's not a time. I should enjoy life. God's given me life. Scripture says life, not just life, but abundant, overflowing life. A Christian is not called to be miserable and sour-faced and always bitter and mad and always gloom. Why are you so sad? Because I'm righteous and I have to live celibate and I have to live away from alcohol and I have to live away from... No, a Christian should be filled with joy and contagious and radiant that when someone sees them, they could say, what is it? And, and we point them to Christ. That we're living our life to the fullest. What do you mean you don't have to do those things to have fun? I don't. Come and hang around with me and my people and see how much fun we have and how much we do. We, I mean, did we not have fun this last summer, Eli? All right, good. I was scared. I was hoping you were going to say it. I was like, oh, man. I? Those are when you preach and you get too carried away. Like, oh, take your words back. But we should take Christ on our seriousness, his words seriously. So we begin in this part of Paul's letter knowing that we have hope. You should write that in your notes. I have hope. I have hope. We are not a people that have no hope. Verse 13 says, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to those believers who have fallen asleep. That phrase is used to describe those that have already died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. I want, did you just read verse 13? The New King James, I'll read it the way the New King James puts it. I do not want you to be ignorant. Everyone say ignorant. Yeah, Paul gets a little bit more intense. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall in asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I mean, it's interesting that Paul says, ignorant, don't be ignorant. Paul does this occasionally. He speaks about ignorance to the church. When he writes to fellow believers, he uses that word ignorance and he doesn't use it lightly. He always uses it uh, when it's for a certain topic. And off the top of my head and as I was studying this a little bit, I, I saw where Paul at least four times in his letters, he asks Christians to not be ignorant about something. Listen to this. Number one, he tells them in Romans chapter 11 verse 25, he says, don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. Number two, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Because a lot of people live ignorant when it comes to that. Number three, don't be, oh, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, for the note takers, 2 Corinthians 1, 8. He says, don't be ignorant about suffering and trials in your Christian life. Don't be ignorant. Number four, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Don't be ignorant about the rapture, the second coming, the coming of Christ. Don't be ignorant about these things. So when you look at some of these things, these are areas where ignorance is still common in the Christian world. 
People are still ignorant about some of these things. And Paul writes to the believers, and what he says to them as he's introducing this, he says, don't be ignorant about this thing that I'm going to tell you next. And he breaks it down. He says, for since we believe that Christ died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him back. And God will bring back with him the believers who have already fallen asleep, the believers who have already died. And we tell you this directly from the Lord, that we who are still living, those that are still present, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself, he will come down from heaven on a cloud, on a command, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the believers who have died, who have fallen asleep, they will rise up from their graves and together with them, we who are still alive remain on this earth. We're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. And my favorite part, so encourage each other with these words. So I read these verses and I say, my goodness, if I, if you, if we have loved ones that know Christ, that are in Christ, we don't have to be so destroyed when they pass away. Scripture teaches us, yes, we mourn. Yes, we miss them on earth. There's a, there's, a, there's a time for everything. Don't get me wrong. But we, we're not destroyed. We're not completely just, we stop living. Because then we live like those who have no hope. Of hope. See, the, the dead state here on earth, we know as believers, is not their end. It's not their resting place. When someone dies and they're in Christ, it's not their final. It's actually leaving the body. It's not really dying to the believer. It's actually waking up to glory. It's moving on. When, when we were celebrating Adrian's dad, we said, we can't say, we can't say that he died. But, but what we are saying is he moved on to glory. It's, it really is. To, I know, this is not cliche. This is not like a Christian thing to say. It, it really is not goodbye. It really is, I will see you soon. When a believer dies, we have that confidence and that hope of, wait a minute, this is not forever. You, you just beat me there. I'll be with you soon. Like now that my dad is saved and my mom is saved and I have certain you know, family members that are saved, like I'm not worried for them. I don't want them to pass, but, but I'm glad that if they do pass, I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. I'll be there with you. And, and, and that's the reality. It's moving. And we encourage each other with these words because one day we'll be there as well with them. And we'll see each other again, and we will rejoice together again before the presence of Christ. For how long, church? Forever. forever. You try to define to me what forever and eternity is, because this, this mind of mine is limited to understand this mind of God, this, this, the ways of God. But it's forever. So it moves us. Because of these things, because of the scripture, it should move you to think that there are many that do not know Christ yet. Hmm? That do not know Jesus, that are purposely so many rejecting Christ. And that breaks us because the, the reality is if we're in Christ, we shouldn't want anyone to go to hell. And that moves us 
Think about your friends. Think about your family, your co-workers, your, your neighbors, people you know personally and well, and people that are acquaintances. But think about those, some of those individuals that you know, man, they don't know Christ. They're rejecting him. Our desire, our aim is we want to see them again. We want to have fun again. But the thought to be separated, to be separated for, from some of these that we love for all eternity and that their eternity of separation is this, is this damnation for the rest of eternity. It should move us now on earth while we still can be moved to do whatever we can to win them for Jesus. How many of you could say amen? I should be moved to show people Christ with my actions and with my words. Why? Because their souls are on the line. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says this. I love this. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Look what he says. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Look at verse 3, chapter 9, Romans. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul, speaking about the Jewish brethren who have scales in their eyes. The Jewish brethren who haven't come to fall at the feet of the Messiah yet. Paul says something so powerful. I wish myself can be accursed for their salvation. We know that that can't happen because Paul's not Christ. And Paul's death can't save anyone. It's, it's, it's they, they have to come to Christ. If they come to Paul, it's to come to Christ. I love how one pastor puts it, and I'll read his quote. He says, Paul felt such love that he was willing to relinquish his own salvation and spend eternity in hell if somehow that could bring his fellow Jews to faith in Christ. He knew, of course, that even if such a thing were possible, his being separated from Christ would have no power in itself to bring a single person to Christ. But, 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 but it's this move in Paul's heart where, man, if my fellow brethren can just come to faith in Jesus... What would that mean for me? I think about Jude chapter 1. We'll put it up, verse 22 and verse 23. When it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. And then in verse 23 it says, and save others. How do you save them? Watch this. By snatching them out of the fire. <laughs> some people you treat this way. Some people you treat this way. And there's other people you just got to grab them by the hair and snatch them out of the fire. I mean, hey. I didn't write this. Jesus is very own blood. Snatch them out. He says, others, you snatch them out of the fire. And to others, you know, you show mercy with fear, but hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I mean, look at, look at how extreme Paul's words are. Look how extreme this right here found in Jude chapter 1. The um, New King James Study Bible describes these verses. He says, in the church, some will require tender care and patience to help them grow in Christ. With others, though, we may need to use drastic action to rescue them from the temptations of sin. 
In rescuing our fellow believers, there is always the need to use wisdom and caution to prevent getting caught up in the sin that caused them to fall. Hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. It's a metaphor, a metaphor for saying to be cautious of sin. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. He says, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. <sighs> I've ever told you, I always say this story about an old friend of mine. I was having a one-on-one with him. And I said, brother, when are you going to stop going to the clubs, man? He says, Rigo, you see, you're, that's religious, he tells me. That's religious. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but you know, you keep putting yourself in, these, in this world. He said, what I do is I just have one drink in my hand. And I just hang out in the club. And I'm there to shine the light of Christ. And just to preach. And I'm just looking at him like. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you believe it. But how. You know that scripture, forgive me, I should know this, right? I should know this. Where it talk, it's a Proverbs, isn't it? Where it says, um, when you're messing with sin and you put it so close to you and, and you know, your, your very own clothes gets burned, be careful. What's that Proverbs? Anyone knows it? Just re- if you know it by heart. Be careful with the fire for it will burn your, very, it'll burn your clothes. Ah, whatever, I'll find it. I'll share it next week. I know it's in Proverbs, though. Trust me, it's in Proverbs. I think it's actually in chapter 7 when it talks about the adulterous woman, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm like, eh, you know what's going to happen, right? You're playing with fire, and eventually, you're going to burn. Watch yourself, lest you also fall into temptation. Oh, 626. Read it out loud. Read it out loud. (sighs) Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Keep on going to the club. (laughs) Your clothes are going to get burned. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Wow. God, the word of God is rich. Oh, man. Snatch them out. But as you snatch them out, be very careful. Where you're putting yourself to snatch them out. But you see the urge of the Lord's return, the urge of people dying. Verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself is going to come down. We have this urge. We have this push towards people. He's going to come down from heaven. It's going to be a commanding shout. The voice of an archangel, the trumpet God of God. The believers who died first will rise up. And then together with them and all those who are still alive that remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And they'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What an event this is. The shout of the Lord. Everyone say that. The shout of the Lord. Number two, the voice of an archangel. And number three, the trumpet of God. Now, I I don't know, maybe there's someone in here that's more scholarly than I am, but these can be separate events that will follow one, will succeed one from another, or it could be one just, one main event all at one time. Whichever way it is, it's going to be amazing. Whether it's all at once or just one after another at some point, here is what Paul is writing. I mean, it's powerful. One Bible teacher says it this way, apparently there will be some audible signal that prompts this remarkable event. It may be that all three descriptions, shout, voice, and trumpet, they may refer to the same sound or they may be different, uh, distinct sounds. The rapture will not be silent. 
The rapture will not be secret, though the vast majority of people may not understand the sound or its meaning. When Paul heard the heavenly voice on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, um, 9-7, his companions heard the sound of a voice, but they did not hear articulate words. They heard a sound, but they did not understand its meanings. It may be well, it may be that with the shout, with the voice, and with the trumpet sound that accompanies the rapture, it will have the same effect. The entire world may hear this heavenly sound, but have no idea what its meaning is. My God. So at this moment, a beautiful moment that we should be encouraged Those that have already died, that are in heaven, they will be there first. And they'll meet Christ in their glorified, resurrected bodies. And those who are presently living on earth will be caught up. The word caught up there, it's a word in the Greek which is harpazo. And that word means to pluck or to take, to siege or to snatch out. It's where we get the word rapture from. And and we'll meet with him, the snatching that will happen. We'll meet with all these other brothers and sisters that have gone before us. And most importantly, not just the brothers and sisters, but we will meet with Jesus in the heavens forever. I want you to look at this. Paul, as he's writing this, is, it's, he's, he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we well believe. And, and it's dramatic. I mean, you read that, isn't it Dramatic. But it's also fantastic. He, he, he's speaking of Christians as, 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 as one scholar says. And, 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 and there's Christians flying up. It's, it's Christians going upward. Being caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I love this. He says, we wouldn't believe this unless the Bible told us if it were so. Not anymore than we would believe that God became a baby. That he did miracles. And that he died on a cross. And now he lives in us. If we believe that, we better believe that we're going to be caught up with him in the heavens. And then the best news is, when we're caught up with the Lord, church, please listen to this. And we see him. He says, oh, it's time to go back. He won't send us back. Maybe he'll think about some of us. But no, he won't send us back. He won't say, sorry, I made a mistake. And Paul as the Holy Spirit inspires him, writes this, then we'll be with him, we'll be with the Lord forever. Come on. All he says next is, is what I can say to you, encourage each other with these words. There's a great sound, there's a voice that is heard. Christ appears, maybe he appears with prominent, these prominent angels, spiritual beings that are around him. And as Jesus comes with maybe angels around him, And he comes to meet his beloved in the air. And all I could tell you, church, is I can't give you the details of all of this. I I can't pretend like I'm Jesus and I know all these things. But I can say this. I encourage you with these words today. And we'll be with the Lord forever. And when we're with him forever, it'll be in a way where Jesus will gather us to himself. And that's going to be an impressive day. And that's going to be an impressive way in how he does that. And whatever state we're in, whether we're dead or alive... When the Lord calls us and on this day, we're going to be with him 
And this is going to be our great reward of heaven. Our great reward in heaven is not that you're in your glorified state. Listen, your great reward in heaven, it's not that you're walking in streets of gold. Your great reward in heaven, it's not that he has many mansions that are built for you. Your great reward in heaven is not that you're going to meet some of the other brothers and sisters that have already died. Your great reward in heaven is not that you finally get to meet Mary and Joseph and Michael the archangel and you get to talk to Daniel and Moses and Paul. Your greatest reward in heaven is none of those things. Your greatest reward in heaven is that you'll be with Jesus forever with no end. He is our reward. The Bible says, uh, amen, praise God. You've probably heard someone say this, would you receive a heaven without Jesus in it? Think about that for a moment. Many people will be like, whatever it takes, because they're, they're more in love with not, not perishing in their sin and dying and, and going to hell for all eternity than they are in love with spending the rest of their life with Jesus. As long as I could be saved from the fire, I'll take a heaven without Jesus. That's the wrong heart. It's I can't see myself one moment of all eternity outside of the presence of Christ. Amen. That's what the believer, that's, that's what we're of. That, that's what our heart should be. And all the other things are just bonuses. And that's what... We're with him forever. It's a great reward to be with Jesus. Death will never break you, does not break us. All it does is unify us with Christ and other Christians. He's telling us not only to take comfort in these words. What is he saying? He says to give comfort. Comfort one another with these words. Not Paul, oh man, Paul doesn't say, I hope you're comforted with these words. He says, no, comfort each other with these words. Why comfort with these words? Because these words are true. See, we're not here. You don't come on a Sunday, hopefully not, to be comforted by me. If you do, then eventually I'm going to upset you one moment and you're never coming back here again. I'm going to fail you because I am no one but an underling shepherd trying to lead you in truth of God's word. That's it. So we don't go to church to be comforted by any pastor. Just as the Christians in Thessalonica are being reminded by Paul, listen to this, we are gathering a gathering of God's family to comfort each other. We're called to comfort each other. Not to say, hey, schedule a meeting with pastor or schedule a meeting with leader so-and-so and let them comfort you. You comfort each other with these words. Amen? And then he continues. Maybe we'll get into all of this stuff next week a little bit more. But he continues in chapter 5, and this is titled The Day of the Lord. And he says, now concerning how and when all this will happen, chapter 5, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, he says, we don't really need to write to you. I, I love that. How many of you, when you read that, no, 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 Paul, keep writing to us. But look what he says next. You don't really need me to explain to you, right, like how this is all going to happen. Man, let's give it up to that translation. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. And look what he says next. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief, like a thief in the night. Man, I was just talking to Adrian and Charlene about thieves in the night, huh? You didn't think about that yesterday in your car having that conversation. A thief in the night. You could do whatever you can or not do to try to prevent the thief from coming. But in the night, the thief comes. And you wake up in the morning and you go to your car and you notice the thief gave us a visit. They got to experience that. Pray for Agent Charlene. But, but it's the reality. It happens to all of us. The thief comes. How many of you have the ring? 
You love reading those stories that they send out? In your neighborhood, oh my God, it's hilarious. I just follow it. It's, it's like the neighborhood gossip. <laughs> These three boys are looking. No, they weren't. They were riding bike. They're, they're fine. They're not trying to kill your dog. All right. I lost turtle. Fireworks, 4th of July. There's gunshots. No, it's 4th of July. No one's shooting up your house. All right, let's get back into scripture. Here we go. And then, wow, now you guys know what I'm diagnosed with. Here we go, here we go, here we go. <clears throat> will return, come unexpected, <laughs> unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Verse 3, when people are saying everything is peaceful and everything is secure. I, I want to say something about this. I don't know if I should say that. Then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. I Everything is peaceful. Everything is secure. You know what I like to say? Everything is love. Have you ever seen how everything is? You got to do everything out of love. Let them decide what they want to be because it's love. Let them decide who they want to love because it's love. Who are you? Love, love. And, 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 and I almost think about like our day today. Everything's peaceful. Everything's accepted. Everything should be okay. We should all learn to coexist because everything is love and secure. <clears throat> You better know what scripture says about those days. Scripture says, in those days, then disaster will fall. In those days. I am my son's father. And I have a responsibility to teach him, to show him, and instruct him in what a man should be. In what a man should be. Yes or no? Right. That young boy comes up to me and says, hey, but I feel I'm this. Uh, what, what do you know at nine years old? I need to talk to you, and I need to be a man before you, to teach you and to show you and to understand. Because if I were to say, oh, you feel that, so then just be it. I can't say that that really is true love without really being true discipleship. You guys see what I'm saying? I'm not saying I don't have compassion. I'm not saying I'm mean. And I, I'm not even speaking bad about that. I'm just trying to say, be very careful in the days that we're living in. This whole new way of believing, accept everything, love everything, love everyone. Let's all get along. Let's all coexist. What a lie from hell. That is not what love is. That is not what love is. When everything is peaceful and everything is secure and everything is in its order because finally, Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 3, then disaster falls on them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begins and there's going to be no escape on that day. Verse 4, but, but you, church, you, you're not in the dark about these things. Brothers and sisters, you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are children of the light and you are of the day and we don't belong to darkness and by night. Come on. We are sons of light. We are characterized as such. We, we carry the very nature of that. We are light. Yes, the coming of Jesus will be a surprise for everyone because no one knows the day or the hour. Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 teaches us that. But for Christians who know the times and know the seasons, we might not know the hour, it will, be a, it will not be a complete surprise for us in the times that we're living in. Yes, no one will know the exact hour of when the thief will come, but some will live in preparation against thieves. 
So what do you do? Because you know there's thieves around your neighborhood. You begin to put an alarm on your car and you lock your car door. And what do you do at night when you go to sleep? I bet you every single person in here locks the doors. I bet you every single person here does something to keep their children and their home safe. I put a gate in front of my house, believe it or not. So at nighttime, you need to open the gate. You need to break into a window. And by the time you get inside, okay, so, so there's a process. Why? Because there's a preparation for the thief. And it's the same thing with Christians. It's not a complete surprise. We live our lives in preparation. Those who are not in darkness, we live as sons of light, as sons of the day. We're ready for the return of Jesus. So when he comes, it's not by surprise. The gate is open. The doors are open. Like, Jesus, I'm here. I caught you. Let's go. We're going together. That's what the believer is. And then in verse 6, he says, so be on your guard. Do not be asleep like others. Team, we're wrapping this up. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. Me and my wife always talk about this when we hear stories about an accident, um, about like the one that happened here with those young girls at four in the morning. Her brother had to take those girls out of the car, lost. All those girls, five girls, gone in a blink of an eye at four in the morning. A drunk driver right here in the Palmetto came right across from them. Her, my brother-in-law had to take those girls out of the car. Five young girls, teenagers, coming home from partying, and bam. So he says, be on your guard. Don't sleep. Stay alert. Be clear-headed. Be careful what you do at night. Be careful the time. Be careful the phone calls you get. Be careful the stuff you engage in. The night wants to get at you. Darkness wants it's visiting you because it wants to strip you from the day. At night, late at night, you should be home. You should be in bed. You should be resting. Be with your spouse if you're married or be with the Lord if you're not. But... But be when, where you need to be when you need to be. You know what I'm talking about. Let those who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. Verse 8, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to pour out his anger on you. But Christ died for us. So that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Guys, this is encouraging this is not so you leave here deflated. This is so you can leave here saying, I'm so happy that my, that my church preached this message today. People are scared to preach this stuff. People are scared to preach about hell and about sin. Like, no, it's so real. It's so real. Don't sleep like others. You know anyone that's sleeping? Hopefully you're not sleeping here today. <laughs> you wake the person up. It's talking to you, man. You're sleeping. Stay alert. You know what that signals? Have discernment. Be wise. Be clear-headed. Protect yourself. <clears throat> I'm trying to see if I should... You know, there's, so, there's so many different stories I can say there, but I want to guard a lot, so... Try, 
trying to be wise. But don't put yourself in places. We have a, a very known pastor of a mega church right now that has to step down. He didn't do anything wrong. They didn't really sin. It wasn't sexual sin. It wasn't stealing from the church. Just a leave of absence for right now. Because he has to check his heart. Because a conversation just got a little too comfortable. Even in that, just guard yourselves. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. You know where you shouldn't be going. You know who you shouldn't be with. You know what you shouldn't be flirting with. Protect yourself. Stay awake. Be clear-headed. Spurgeon, he preached a message. And the, the title of this message was titled, Awake, Awake, with exclamation points. It was, it was a yell, awake, awake. That's what he titled his message. And he shows the tragedy of sleeping Christians with three powerful pictures. I want to share it with you when we, as we close. Charles Spurgeon says this in, his, in the message titled, Awake, Awake. He says, a city suffers under the plague with an official walking the streets crying out, Bring out the dead. Bring out the dead. All the while, a doctor with the cure in his pocket sleeps. A passenger, example number two, a passenger ship reels under a storm and is about to crash on the rocks, bringing near certain death to hundreds of passengers, all while the captain sleeps. Picture number three, a prisoner in his cell is about ready to be led to the execution and his heart is terrified at the thought of hanging from his neck, terrified of death and what exists or what awaits him after death. All the while, a man with a letter of pardon for the condemned man sits in another room and has fallen asleep. In verse 11, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, encourage each other and build each other. Sorry, in, in chapter 5, verse 11, encourage each other. He says the same thing that he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says it again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Encourage each other. Build each other. Just as you're already doing, continue to do it. So I end with this. The time is coming. Your time may be in 40 years, 80 years, or in eight hours. But your time's coming. Just like I know that when I wake up, it's coming. So what do I do with the time that I do have? What do you do with the time that you do have? Comfort each other. Edify one another. 
build one another. So church, all I could ask you as your brother is this. Are you doing this already? Are you? If your answer is yes, then it's amen. Then do it even more now. But, but as Paul says, encourage and edify and build one another. Are you doing this? If your answer is no, I don't think I really am. Then I love you. But I will say this, then you're asleep. Awake. Awake, awake, like Spurgeon says. The cure is in your pocket. The skill is in your navigation. The letter of pardon is in your hands. Don't sleep. I encourage you with these words. Encourage others with these words. How many of you can say amen? Don't sleep. Don't sleep. The Lord is coming. When he comes on a cloud with a shout and the sound of the archangel and the shout of the trumpet, he's coming. So I encourage you with these words. Awake. 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 The solution is in your hands. Lord, I pray for this body right there where they're sitting. I pray that we would awake. That we would not sleep. That we would guard, protect. That we'd be encouraged today and encourage others. That we live prepared. And that you would help and use us to prepare others. I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in every single one of us. With every head bowed as you're there in prayer. No distraction, just spend time with God. If you're here today, and maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, man, I... I need prayer in my life. I feel like I'm sleeping. I know, Pastor Rigo, that all you have is words of prayer for me. But I just want to come alongside you and some of the leaders and I just want to pray. I want to pray because I want to be encouraged and I want to live faithful to the Lord. I want to walk closely to Him. I want to be alert. I just want to come and maybe just ask for forgiveness. I just want to come and and just say, I need a brother or sister just to get alongside me. If you, I know this is a little bit different than how we do things. This is out of the ordinary. But if you want to get out of your seat and just come up here and say, can someone just pray with me? I, I, I would love for someone to pray with me and according with what you just spoke today. I do want to be prepared. I, I do want to live. Can someone just come believe with me if I don't know I just feel led to pray with someone because I know in moments of my life I've been discouraged and I've needed someone just to put their arms around me and pray maybe the word itself has been enough hope for you you've been encouraged already but if if you need to get up from your seat and come up here maybe get on your knees we'll dismiss everyone but we'll, we'll pray with you and and we'll ask the Lord just to strengthen you I don't want to I don't want you to leave here if you feel deep inside that you just want to come alongside some of us and
and just pray with us. This, this front area is open <clears throat> for you to get on your knees and just pray. And we'll come alongside you if there's anyone. But Lord, I pray that you would bless this family here at our nest. Amen. I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work. These are not days to play, mess around, sugarcoat. And that we treat Christianity like if it's just this gathering to feel good. But that we would understand what our faith and our walk with you really is all about. Strengthen this body, Lord. Maybe right there where you're at, we could maybe worship the Lord. Right there, you don't have to stand. If you want to stand, you can. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to stay seated in a place of worship there, you could. Maybe we could sing like a, I don't know, whatever you feel in your heart. You can make up a song if you want. But just uh, we're going to just sing a song. And uh, just ask the Lord, Lord, here, here I am. Just fill me, Lord. I want to leave here encouraged. I want to be prepared. I want to meet you in the sky. I want to be present with you forever. Spend a moment in worship before you go. I know you got things to do, but spend a moment in worship. Hallelujah. With everything, with everything, we will shout for your glory. With everything, with everything, we will shout forth your
Shout for 
today We want to give you praise Hear our hearts today Heal our hearts today We want to give you our praise We're here to seek your face We're here to seek your face We're here to give you praise Hear our hearts today Hear our hearts today We're here to give you praise here to seek your face, hear our hearts today. We give our Lord, thank you for such a beautiful day that you've given us, a day that we could just really just maybe just cry, maybe just confess. Maybe just declare together, this is what, this is what church is about. That we don't just run out so quick, but that we could just stay here in your presence and pray for each other and encourage each other. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that today the word that was spoken would produce much fruit. That we leave here encouraged and that we leave here encourage one another with these words. Thank you for such a beautiful, beautiful time in your presence. Thank you for continuing to bless our nest here. You're such a good and faithful God. We're so humbled. Humbled before your presence. We're so grateful for your goodness, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. You could give God some praise. and.